Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Jamie Shine on the show. She is the corporate and IT audit manager at Quick Trip. Some of the uh, topics that we talk about are examples of consulting engagements that she's been a part of at Quick Trip. We also talk about this is really interesting uh, topic of hers called pain-free auditing. And there was probably there's five bullet points that she kind of hits on, and probably ten takeaways total from those bullet points. So that was that was a really good conversation. And then we also talk about women leadership in audit. I don't think this is a topic necessarily just for the audit community, but uh, it could be applied, I think, broadly to corporate America. But there was a lot of good takeaways there also. So highly recommend listening to, to that part of it. Um, within that piece, she also mentions a book by Valerie Alexander called How Women Can Succeed in the Workplace Despite Having, quote, Female Brains. So I put a link into the show notes for that. And then lastly, Jamie is the conference MC for the 2020 GRC conference. It's a virtual event because they had to cancel it, uh, the live event, but it's still going on. It's in August. Uh, this is the one hosted by Isaka and the IAA. So it'll be good to check out and uh, I guess listen and watch as Jamie MCs the conference. So that is it. Here we go. Well, thanks for having me on, Trent. My name is Jamie Shine, and I'm the Corporate and IT Audit Manager for Quick Trip Corporation. We are a large privately held company. We have over 800 convenience stores in multiple markets, and we're quickly growing, so it's a great place to be an auditor at. Nice. So consulting work at Quick Trip. Okay. So I know that's an area that I like to kind of push and almost like motivate auditors to do instead of the um, kind of traditional type work that we, we typically see. Yeah. And I think consulting is where we can add a lot of value. And I see that really because, or, or recognized it because when I looked around at internal audit departments that I'd worked in and worked with, a lot of them were filled with former uh, big four consultants or, you know, consultants in some yeah. capacity. And it's like, internal audit is a in-house consulting firm. Let's actually do that. So I know you've done some uh, consulting projects at Quick Trips, and I know you've spoken about that before. So you, could you give us some examples of those? Yeah, I absolutely love getting to do consulting projects. And I would agree with you that that is a great way that we're able to add value. I do believe, too, it shouldn't replace our bread and butter audit function because what we do does add so much value day to day. And I think sometimes consulting can be 
the new buzzword almost where it's fun, it's exciting, it's something different. So we get really excited about that. And I do think it's important to recognize that everything we do adds value. But I certainly love getting to be part of a team that does a lot of consulting. We're really fortunate in that we don't have to do SOX testing. You are. So that certainly frees up our audit schedule a little bit more. <laughs> yes, we are very lucky. And it enables us to do a lot more of those value add projects. So at first when we started out, and I will say we've always had a bit of a consulting element in our audits. We do a lot of process auditing. And so a lot of that is when we're looking at these processes, not just evaluating the controls, which of course we're doing, but also evaluating efficiencies. So we've always been looking at, are there things that should be automated? Are there areas that are inefficient or ineffective? And something that we love getting to do is look for I hate to call them best practices, but strong practices throughout one area of the company. If one group is really good at doing something and we're seeing that another group is struggling in that area, we love being able to connect the dots, which is a consulting element that we really have in all of our audits in a way that we've always added value. But a few years ago, my CAE, and I would say that he's always kind of been on the cutting edge of new trends in audit, but he decided that we were going to start doing more dedicated consulting projects. And a lot of that kind of came out of a need that we saw in our company. I think it's been great in a lot of ways. First of all, I think that it's helped improve our relationships with management and our CAE and our audit department already have a really strong focus on building those relationships with management. But what we've seen is that it took us from being just this independent observer, which is important, but also helping them realize that we were on their same team. That when you look at the definition of internal audit, By definition, our job is to help our company achieve its strategic objectives. But when a lot of people think about audit, they think about, oh, the auditors, they're here to check up on me and see if I'm doing something wrong, which of course we know is not what we're doing. We're trying to help our organization succeed. But I think adding that consulting element really helps sell that to management. It makes it even more apparent to them, wow, internal audit really is just trying to set the company up for success. And we do that in a lot of ways. We do it through looking at risk mitigation. We do it through looking at those controls, but we also do it through our consulting work. Some of the projects that have been a lot of fun to work on from a consulting standpoint, I get to work a lot with our CIO. I absolutely love working with my CIO, Gina Hitz. She is amazing. She's uh, incredibly brilliant. And I love the way that she partners with internal audit. She asked for audits. She asked for consulting engagements, but she actually asked for audits too. I love that about her. I would say that one of our core values as a company is never be satisfied, and that is Gina. And so that's been a lot of fun to get asked to come into a project. Sometimes it's in the middle of the project. Uh, right now, I'm actually working on one. It's IT vendor management. And so it's the beginning of a new initiative to look at IT vendor management and improving those processes. So she actually had me come in before the project kicked off and talk to some of the key stakeholders about what their goals are, what needs to be better, what their plans are, and weigh in on that from a GRC or governance risk and control standpoint. That's kind of fun. Most of the time, we're coming in about halfway through the project. And we're that third set of eyes. We're that independent, objective party that's able to come in and take a look at things and say, hey, have you thought about that? I like to say that part of my job is asking the dumb questions no one else is asking. 
because sometimes people take things for granted when they're in something day in or day out. So some of what we do when we consult is we come in and we ask those, those questions that sometimes seem really stupid, right? Well, have we thought about this? Well, how does this impact these other things? And it's fun when people go, oh, we have not thought about that. And so sometimes I think that adds a whole new level of governance and an oversight to a project. Yeah, the, the amount of times, probably 90% of the time I kick off an audit, it's I'm going to ask you really dumb questions. Be okay with <laughs> Cause I don't, and it, like, you can't know everything. I mean, they have to yeah. know it all. You know, that's what they do best is right. knowing their, their area, their thing, uh, the best. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I or anyone else can't be an expert in every piece of it, especially when yeah. you throw in the IT part, you can't be an expert mm -hmm. in every IT, you know, application or operating system right. or whatever. So, um, yeah, and I've prefaced it with that before, especially in, you know, I'm, I was in IT audit. And so that's usually how I'd preface it when I would talk to the, the DBA that did not want to talk to, you know, the dumb auditor. I'd be like, <laughs> look, Rhett, this, you do this eight, 10 hours a day and you've been doing it for years. I have to check yeah. the same thing across 10 different kinds of data, but I can't learn all of it. So yeah, I'm going to ask you the dumb questions. So I thought um, when you said that about asking dumb questions, I thought that was great. <laughs> Do you have anything else there? So our consulting work has really ranged from lots of areas of the business. Sometimes it's something really, really small. Like as an example, if you're not familiar with Quick Trip and our convenience stores, we have our own proprietary fast food restaurant in the back of our stores, our quick service restaurant. And all of our recipes are developed in-house. Our food is actually really good. I eat at our stores. The food's wonderful. But when we rolled out our subs, which are made fresh in the stores, the director of food, at the time now he's the director of sales he's been promoted but he said hey can you guys ride with our food safety guy for a day and just see if there's anything we're missing does adding this elevate our risk in any ways and how are we addressing it are we mitigating it appropriately at that point subs had only been rolled out to a couple of test stores so there was still plenty of time to make adjustments if needed i thought that was really cool that he asked us to do that as people who aren't experts in food safety but who do bring that risk background to it so that's an example of a smaller thing that we've been able to do and that kind of stuff comes up a lot sometimes on a more ad hoc basis we actually during our annual risk assessment meetings which those are with department heads and then the CAE and me when we have those meetings one of the things that we ask about is first of all audit schedule obviously but then secondarily we ask them about consulting projects that might be of interest to them and we give them some examples so we started out doing a lot of IT consulting and then after that, we started getting asked to do more consulting projects. But what was interesting to me is that the more consulting work we did, the more we found that people were asking us for audits as well. I was expecting to be asked for more consulting engagements. I wasn't expecting to be asked to do additional audits. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's interesting because that, I don't think that the auditees necessarily know what audit can offer. I think it goes back to what mm -hmm. you said earlier. It's almost that perception of audits here just to get us in trouble kind of thing. So right. yeah, I think that is important just to even educate the auditees about what all audit is capable of doing. Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes they don't know. I also think we have to be careful because sometimes we want to be all things to all people. Uh -huh. I think most people become auditors because they want to help, right? So we have to be careful that we're not stepping into areas that we don't have any expertise in or for example, the standards say that we should primarily, when we're doing consulting engagements, be focusing on GRC, on governance, risk, and control. So if I'm doing a consulting engagement that has nothing to do with governance, risk, or control, or any area that I have 
you know, no background in, it's probably not the best option for me and for my company. But governance, risk, and control are so embedded in everything in our company that I think that makes it pretty wide open for us. We can serve on systems implementation teams, kind of that non-voting member who's looking at risk. We can look at new processes before they're implemented and see if we have any concerns about those controls. We certainly can be a checkpoint if somebody's going to be implementing a new process or a new control to see, do I have any concerns about this from a risk standpoint? I think we also serve as a great resource for those second line of defense areas of our company. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think it was great that you kind of clarified the GRC piece. What I would be a little bit concerned about is people taking that and kind of running with it and just kind of like you said, like we can't just do the consulting and just kind of run with that and say, oh, this is all we're going to do. And it's the fun, really, really fun stuff. So that's what we're all <laughs> going to do. So thank you for clarifying. Oh, there no. Was... Yeah, I think that I think that can be tempting because it is kind of a fun thing that we get to do and it's exciting and we get to see those tangible results. So sometimes it can be, we have to remember to keep that balance. Yeah. And maybe this is a good segue, the, at least a play on words. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So the non-consulting can be kind of a pain, and I know you've talked about pain-free auditing as a topic before, <laughs> so if you could kind of talk about uh, what you mean by pain-free auditing. Okay, awesome. So pain-free auditing was a realization that I had a year ago, and it kind of comes from a personal story. I had some health challenges last year. And I had a doctor who did not have the best bedside manner, but when I went in to see him, and told him about what I was experiencing, he said, well, we need to do a biopsy. And that terrified me, to be completely honest. And we ran a bunch of other tests as well. And as a result of that, I had a long wait to get my test results. I was terrified on pens and needles. I was taking my cell phone with me to the bathroom everywhere I went, waiting for those test results, feeling like my life was going to be disrupted at any minute. And after after all of that happened, and as a result of that, I started thinking about ways that this doctor was unintentionally harming his patients, and maybe I was accidentally or unintentionally doing that to my audit clients. So I kind of came up with five steps, and they all relate to what I experienced and how I would have improved that. So the first one is how important it is to involve the client in the audit planning process. My doctor never explained why I needed a biopsy or those other tests. I thought we were looking for cancer, which... Mm -hmm with what I was experiencing was a very unlikely diagnosis, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that there were other things they were testing for. So that's something that I'm trying to do better at when I work with my audit clients. It's explaining the process to them because to me, I do audits all day every day. So I understand the process really well and there's nothing scary about it. Right. To somebody who hasn't been audited before, it can be a terrifying process. And so I've learned that it's helpful to them to understand why we're doing the testing that we're doing, what we're looking for. It helps them feel more empowered and more involved in the process. And then the second step is to provide pain relief. And what I mean by that, so in my experience with the biopsy, it was horrible. I have a pretty high pain tolerance. It was about a nine and a half out of 10 on the pain threshold. And I was given nothing for pain other than a lollipop. I'm not even kidding. I was given a lollipop by this doctor. I found out that this procedure is generally done under local or general anesthesia. So I was horrified when I found out that I had gone through this pain and that wasn't really a best practice. But then I started thinking about my audit clients. And hopefully audits aren't painful, but they are disruptive. They're bringing some level of disruption with them, right? We are coming into their department. 
their day-to-day job is not to help an auditor or not to pull support for an auditor and talk to an auditor. So we're bringing an additional time commitment, if nothing else. So I started thinking about ways that I could reduce that pain that they're feeling. And that can be anything from talking to them up front about the time commitment, making sure they really understand it, to finding out when they're going to be busy or less busy and trying to schedule my work with them during their less busy times. And then it can involve things like, can we pull our own samples? Can we get some kind of access so that they're not having to pull things for us? And then I also feel that it's important to be honest with our client. When I asked this doctor how long the biopsy would take, he told me three to five seconds. It was three minutes of some of the worst pain I've had in my entire life. I was really upset that somebody that I trusted with my health had lied to me. And I started thinking about our audit clients and hopefully we're never blatantly lying to our audit clients, but it can be uncomfortable sometimes when we're having to deliver bad news. It's so important for us to, first of all, be upfront with them about the time commitment and about what the audit's going to entail, as well as the reporting process. Yes, these things are going to go in an audit report. This report does go to the audit committee. They need to understand that. And we can say all that with empathy and with customer service, but they need to understand everything. But especially when we're delivering bad news, I think it's important that we don't underplay anything in order to get out of an awkward situation. If something's a significant deficiency, we have to be upfront about that so that they can fix it. Because again, the whole point of our audits is to help them achieve their strategic goals. So with the the point number two and yeah. Really just effectively communicating what we do, how it's going to impact them. Do you have like a checklist that you use to do that? Or is it almost you've spoken about it so much that it just kind of comes natural to you? To explain to them what we're going to do? Yeah, just kind of. I don't have any kind of. There's just a lot of kind of good stuff in there, you know, like steps like yeah. this is how it's going to be run. This is what we expect of you. Yeah. This is how much time it's probably going to take. Even being empathetic to the fact that we know that being audited was not in the job description when you took the job. Um, yes. <laughs> but it is what it is, you know, kind of explain that to them. Uh, Cause I know I've explained maybe all of that, but definitely not all of that every single time I sit down with somebody and I think it would be good. So yeah. I didn't know if there was, um, you know, like if you had a checklist or something like that, how you were able to do that consistently. So we have a template for our planning meeting agenda, and we do go through all of that in our planning meeting. But aside from that, I try to do, I do put some onus on the head of the department to share some of that with their employees. And then when I meet with each individual person, I try to find out how much they already know. If I've worked with somebody on an audit every three years for the past 10 years, I'm going to share a lot less. If somebody, it's the first time I'm working with them, I'm probably going to go through everything because I want to make sure that they understand everything and see if they have any questions. It can also be helpful depending on the department to get everyone in a room together if possible. Like sometimes I'll attend a staff meeting and that way I get to communicate with everyone in that department that's being audited and they're able to ask me any questions so that can be a good way as well I think it really depends on the audit department though how formal it needs to be if I was in a really big public company maybe I would want to have more of a formalized memo or checklist whereas our culture is more informal and we know most of the people at our company there's about 800 people at our corporate office but we do know most of them and have relationships with them already so that certainly makes it a little bit easier yeah i think just having it as part of the audit kickoff agenda is is a good mm-hmm. kind of way to make sure that you hit it consistently so okay so that was for point, sure point two of five <laughs> 
Point zero. I think we've gone through three. Be honest is point three. Okay, okay. Um, point four is provide timely results. Like I mentioned, I was told I'd get my biopsy results within a week, and that didn't happen. So then I was stressed and carrying my phone around and thinking, surely the results are bad because they haven't called me. And then when we finally called, and by we, I mean my husband, because at this point I was way too terrified to call, he was told that they couldn't give the results over the phone because I would have too many questions about them. So we were absolutely terrified at that yeah. point. I was like, questions, oh no, this is terrible. So I had to wait until my appointment to get the results and I didn't have cancer. So it was all of this worry for an extended period of time for no reason. And I started realizing that I might unintentionally be doing this to my audit clients. Mm -hmm. I always tell the department head and anybody else who's in that kickoff meeting, if I find anything that's a big deal, any significant issues, I'm going to be in your office telling you immediately, and I honor that promise. But smaller things, little observations, that all comes to them or used to come to them at the closing meeting. Mm -hmm. So I'd go do my work, then I'd have this meeting with them, and I'm dumping all these things in their lap, and some of them might be negative. And I realized that might not be the best way to do this. So some people do still prefer, I asked them at the kickoff meeting what their preference is. Some still prefer not to see me until the end of the audit unless there's a big deal. But for some of them, I'll have weekly or biweekly check-ins. I like being able to provide them with positive assurance throughout the audit. Hey, we've already looked at this and everything was good so far. How great is that to hear as opposed to waiting just for the bad news at the end of the audit? So that's something that I'm trying to do better. Yeah, I like that because we, I mean, we test a lot of controls and there may only be, you, maybe you test, we'll say 15 and maybe you find <laughs> an issue in two of them and you kind of wait, you know, until you find that it, you, you've tested five and then on number six, five are good on number six, there's an issue and you tell them about number six. Well, really it should be, Hey, number six, there's this issue. Explain that. And then, but Hey, on these other five, like it's completely fine. You're good to go. You crushed it. And I think the, the positive, um affirmation the, the the positive speaking to the positive to them i think they would also appreciate like you said yeah hey everyone thank you for continuing to listen to the show we want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at audit board the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk audit board's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. And then my last point is solicit feedback. So this doctor that I went to, he didn't have any feedback loop in place. I think the only way I could actually give him feedback on how horrible my experience was would be to schedule an appointment with him, and that's obviously not happening. But when I go to my primary care doctor, every time I leave, I get a survey, and it asks me about my experience, and my primary care doctor is the best doctor in the world. So of course, in my survey, I'm saying best doctor in the world, don't do anything differently. But if I did have a bad experience, I'd be able to provide feedback that would enable them to change. And what I found is that a lot of auditors are nervous to have a feedback loop in place with their audit clients because they're afraid that if a client gets an adverse report or has adverse findings, they're going to have retribution and they're going to attack the auditor essentially. So if that's tied into bonuses or if it's tied into job evaluations or anything like that, I think auditors are 
sometimes afraid of that. But I think that the alternative is worse because if we're not soliciting feedback from our audit clients, we're going to fail to be relevant. Something that I'm trying to do a better job of is getting that real-time feedback from them. I've actually started during my closing meetings having sort of a lessons learned session with them where I let them give me feedback. And I recently did that with a vendor audit, which was interesting because we've never done that with the vendor audit before. I think that's a little more normal when it's when I'm auditing my coworkers or other quick trippers and was able to ask them, how can I make this less painful for you next time? We're probably going to do the same things, but how can I improve this process? And they were able to give me some feedback that was really helpful. Things like timing of getting them samples because it takes them a while to get some of the documents that we needed from third parties that they're dealing with. That was really helpful. I think it was also helpful from a relationship standpoint because when somebody's coming in and auditing you, that could potentially make you feel powerless. And I think that providing them with a feedback loop where the feedback is two-sided it empowers them. It makes them feel like this is a service and we're helping them versus we're coming in to audit you. Well, I hate that you had that experience, but I guess the other (laughs) side of what came out on the other side of it, I think obviously has made a big impact on you and kind of how you operate. And then uh, the folks that listen to the show also, hopefully there's some takeaways. I know there, there were for me, if nothing else, to standardize that you know, kind of checklist um, for each yeah. engagement to make sure that that I hit on those. So, um, <laughs> again, I hate that it happened to you, but you know, <laughs> there was some good that came out of it. Oh, definitely. I mean, it was a while ago, but it certainly changed the way that I view my job. And it's always been a big focus for our audit shop to build relationships and to be collaborative, to have that relationship with everyone that we're working with. But I do think that this for me took it to a new level because it helped me realize some things that I should be doing better. So you've done a lot of presentations. I've I've come to find when I was doing (laughs) some research, there was a lot to pick from. Um, but I know one that we've talked about is women leadership in audit. And that's one that you've talked about. So uh, if you could, you know, kind of, kind of hit on that. Yeah. Okay. That's actually how I got started doing presentations. So years ago, I don't even remember how many years ago now, I shot this little four minute video for auditchannel.tv and I talked about being a woman in audit. And then after that, some people saw that video and they asked me to come speak on the topic at the super strategies conference put on by Misty. So I've ended up doing a presentation about it. But then I also have served on either, sorry, I've either moderated or I have sat as a panelist on the women in audit panel at the Super Strategies or Audit World conferences for four years. So that's been really fun and kind of sparked my passion of wanting to do some research into, as a female auditor, what are some of the challenges that other female auditors are facing? And also, what are some of the strengths? that some of us may have that uniquely position us for this career. So as I started digging into that, it's interesting to hear from the other panelists. And anytime we've had that panel, it's always been very interactive. And the women who are attending the panel also have such great stories to share. But what I wanted to find out, because I personally, I've been an auditor for, I think, 13 years now. And I don't feel like I have experienced a lot of barriers as a woman in audit. But I've talked to a lot of peers, and their experiences have been very different than mine. 
So what I wanted to find out was what are some of these common barriers that women are facing? And what I found was flexibility can be a huge barrier for women. There are a lot of studies that have shown that even if a male and a female are both working the same amount of hours, the female, if she has children, even if they both have children, the female will tend to be putting in more hours at home or with the children. So that can be a barrier, especially to mothers who feel that they have to be all things to all people and they're trying to be an amazing mom, but then they're also trying to be an amazing auditor. Whereas sometimes men feel more flexibility where they can work late at the office or where they can travel more. We also found that perception issues can be a barrier, particularly with the older generation. I would like to say that most people in our generation and really most people these days are not discriminating against women, but there can still be some stereotypes, particularly with that older generation. And I don't think it's an intentional thing, but when they were coming up in the workforce, there weren't a lot of women in the workforce. And those who were in the workforce were primarily in clerical roles. So it, it can be challenging for them to understand how the world is a little different now. And then we found that women don't tend to be as good at networking as men are, and that can be a lot of reasons. I was actually in kind of the ground floor of our women's leadership program at Quick Trip. And so at the very beginning, we took a night off campus, off our Quick Trip campus, and we stayed at a re retreat place. And we spent a lot of time brainstorming what potential barriers could be to women moving up into executive positions. And I'm really happy to say a lot of those barriers have been torn down. But one of them is we realized men tended to go out to eat for lunch with each other. They were fishing with each other. They were riding motorcycles. They were doing all these really cool things. And we were terrible at networking. A lot of us ate lunch at our desk. And a lot of that was particularly women who needed to go pick up the kids from daycare or school, they were working through lunch so that they could go pick up their kids and leave work a little earlier. So we found that we weren't quite as good at networking even. Wow. And then we also found that some women had been told that they needed to act like a man in order to succeed instead of embracing their unique strengths as women. I actually heard a heartbreaking story. I won't say who in order to protect the guilty, but a female executive won't say what company, has told me that she traveled a lot with men. So she earned their respect by being able to drink them under the table. So she would tip the bartender, have the bartender serve her tonics instead of gin and tonics. And then she, she earned the respect that way. She was able to have a lot of gin and tonics. <laughs> I mean, that's sad, but it's also pretty creative and funny at the same time. Oh, she's brilliant. And when you said that, before you said what she actually did, I was thinking she had to drink whiskey with the men is where I thought you were going to head. So what, I was close, but um, that's, yeah. that's, well, I'm glad that, that I asked then because I know uh, with my wife being in IT risk, mm -hmm. uh, some of those things yeah. um, kind of hear about, and I'd never heard the flexibility uh, perspective mm. before in that, you know, the traveling aspect mm -hmm. of it or the staying at the office late when they feel like maybe you need to be home yeah. and being the caretaker or something like that. So um, that was pretty eye-opening to me uh, um, to hear that as somebody whose wife is in not necessarily audit role, but in, yeah. in you know, corporate America and, and risk management for sure, which we're all, you know, kind of part of. So um, thank you oh, very much for, for speaking to that. Another one that I thought was interesting, kind of going back to a perception issue, is there have been a lot of studies done about the way men and women are perceived differently. 
And there were several that I found really interesting. Uh, one of them, I think most people have heard of it. It was done by Columbia Business School. It was a while ago, but it was the Heidi versus Howard Roizen's case study. And they gave groups of students an identical biographical information, identical resumes, and then they had them rate the person on a variety of traits. The only thing they changed was the name. Some students got Heidi Roizen and some got Howard Roizen. And what was interesting is that the students found both of them equally competent, but they found Howard likable, whereas they found Heidi selfish and they thought that she was aggressive. They thought that she was, they really didn't like her as a person. And a lot of them said they didn't want to work with her. And then there was also a study I found interesting. It was done by Karen Snyder and they looked at performance reviews from people who were considered to be strong performers at their company. They looked at 248 reviews and they found that 58% of the male reviews had some kind of critical feedback. 88% of the female reviews had critical feedback, but the type of feedback was interesting. The negative feedback that the men got, it was based on their actual job performance. Whereas a lot of the negative feedback the women were receiving, in fact, 71 out of the 94 women who got negative feedback, they got something that was considered negative personality feedback. There were words used to describe them like aggressive, abrasive, bossy, and strident. And of those words, the only one that appeared in any of the men's reviews was aggressive, and most of the time it was asking them to be more of it. Wow. So it was an interesting dichotomy that when women were seen as aggressive, it was a negative thing, whereas if men were seen as non-aggressive, it was considered a negative thing. So the expectations were really different. Uh, I also read a great book, if anyone is a reader, called How Women Can Succeed in the Workplace Despite Having Female Brains. It's by Valerie Alexander, and it was fascinating but part of the premise of it, or the hypothesis, is that the workplace was originally established by men, and it was designed to reward traits that men are naturally good at. And then when women entered the workplace much later, it was a little bit of a challenge because the system was, I don't want to use the word rigged, but the system was already established to reward traits that were more traditional male traits. Now, scientists have they now know that our brains are different. I know it's shocking, but it's not shocking to anyone who's been married, I'm sure. But our brains are biologically different. And they do say that about 20% of people think more like the opposite gender. So 20% of brains are hardwired more like the opposite type. But it's interesting that biologically, we have these different ways of thinking. And yet if women in audit are being told that they need to think like a man to succeed, that's not something they're naturally good at. Whereas there are so many traits that women do tend to naturally succeed in, things like empathy, communication, multitasking, we're great at that, that actually make people great auditors. So I think audit shops are realizing that. I actually was able to do a little bit of research a few years ago and realized that in Tulsa, where I live, 50% of chief audit executives are actually female. So to me, that's a huge win because it shows that people are recognizing that these are skills that are very, very useful in audit. Yeah, and, and this topic isn't super comfortable for most men, I would say. So is there- I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, so what I was getting at though, is there, do you have any uh, advice on for the male leadership in an audit department or really anywhere that you know might be listening to this as to how to approach yeah. the subject? Because even being aware of it, it's not something that I would probably maybe go out and seek, you know, and say, Hey, what can we do for you? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so uh -huh. I think that's a great question. 
So something that I've realized or something I've noticed is that a lot of companies now, they have women's leadership initiatives, they have women's mentorship programs, they have a lot of initiatives for women, and they don't have anything that's inclusive of men. To me, that sends a message that women are the problem, Hmm. that they need to set up support systems for us. Something that my company did a few years ago that I really liked and I think was really helpful is they did some gender awareness training everyone attended it. So we actually took a test to figure out where you fall on this gender brain spectrum. Do you have more of a male brain, more of a female brain, or more of a bridge brain? Our male CEO actually tested that he has more of a female brain. I would definitely agree with that. And he's an amazing leader. Absolutely love working for him. But that was really neat. And we got to learn about some of the differences. Again, realizing that these are generalizations. Everybody is unique. Everybody's different. But really just being aware of these differences was really useful because sometimes we tend to see everything through our own eyes. So if somebody does a behavior, I'm thinking about why I would be doing that behavior, not why they would be doing that behavior. And I'm putting it through these lenses. So I might think, oh, well, they're mad at me or they're being rude or they're being aggressive when maybe they're just exhibiting what to them is a very normal behavior. So it really helped us to avoid misunderstandings and it helped us to communicate better. So I would say that, you know, a male head of an audit department or as a male, I think the best thing that you can do is to educate yourself about what some of these differences could be and to have those conversations. It really opened up a lot of conversations with, I work in an audit department. I'm the only woman in my audit shop and We had some great conversations about the ways that we think differently, not just male brain, female brain, but personality-wise, we are incredibly different. And I think at first, we used to view our differences as a negative thing or liability, and now I think we view our differences as a huge strength. We don't need multiple Jamies in this audit department. We don't need multiple Kents or multiple Eds. That'd be scary. We need all of our different strengths, and we're able to utilize those strengths to make us a better rounded team. All right, that's fantastic answer thank you so much for for speaking to it i kind of let the the guests get up on their soapbox and if there's anything that we (laughs) haven't discussed that you kind of wish like oh if i could just you know usually what i describe it is if you could just grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders and shake them (laughs) and say listen to me and do exactly what i'm about to say and do this thing like what would it be if you if you have one or if you haven't already touched on it oh man soapbox that's hard so if I was really going to grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders <laughs> and shake them uh, and tell them something, I think I would just tell them don't lose sight of the value. I think so often it's easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day minutia and to get caught up in what we're doing and to forget about the value that we're adding, uh, to forget about why we do what we do. Most people are auditors because we want to make a difference. We want to help people. And in our companies, we're uniquely positioned to do that, right? We get to touch on pretty much every aspect of our organization. We have a seat at the table. We're able to influence our companies and influence really our companies achieving their strategic goals. So I think I would tell them don't lose sight of that value. I think sometimes people see internal audit as a stepping stone in a career where they want to do a few years in audit, get to know the company, and then leave, and that's fine. But 
don't forget about all the opportunities that you have in audit and don't forget to be grateful for it because not a lot of people get the opportunities that, that we have. I've been thinking a lot lately. I've been really missing traveling and really missing getting to speak in person at conferences and all the fun of that. I had to take a gratitude moment and I had to think about not many people get the opportunities that we get. Like right now I'm getting to work on a special project at my company from a consulting standpoint. Not many people get to do that. And I get to work with almost everyone at my company. Not many people get to do that. Yeah. I think we're really, really lucky as auditors. We have a really neat role and just don't lose sight of that. Yeah. Well, all right. There's a, a lot of good. That's not a great soapbox. Sorry. No, 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 that's great. That's great. And there's a lot of other great points that you made. It's one of those where I'm looking forward to listening back to it to, so I can actually kind of take some notes during it because there's a lot of different uh, yeah. points that you made where I thought, yeah, I need to start doing that or um, I need to incorporate that in, you know, my practices kind of thing. So um, with that said, thank you very much for coming on. I know the, the folks that are listening are going to get a lot of value on it. Um, so thank you again. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This was fun. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.